This is the Men of Words podcast, where little conversations can make big differences. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Men of Words podcast. My name's Michael. Joined as always by number one, my compadre, Mr. Liam Murphy. Murphy, how you doing, mate? Compadre's a new one. I'm excited. Ah, little, Expanding your vocabulary. Turning a little <laughs> afternoon siesta for the conversation today. I'm looking forward to it, I'm mate. For it. Mate, I'm good. I've uh, refreshed, rejuvenated... Very excited for the next conversation today. Um, how are you doing? I'm good, mate. I'm good. Same, same, same. Feeling uh, feeling a little bit of normalcy coming back to life after a couple of turbulent, busy sort of few weeks, as we know. Amen. But um, yeah, not very much looking forward to getting back into these conversations. I think it's something that we're, we're aiming to have a big 2021. And yeah, I mean, jumping in a couple of months in and we're off to a big start. We sort of a couple of chats this week and some more and more on the way where, yeah, things are looking good. I'm very excited, mate. Yeah, yeah, it's an exciting time to be back having these these chats and, and getting this back out to our, our listeners and, and giving everyone an opportunity to hear from a broader range, I guess, of, of guests rather than like we did in the past where we had our set themes and, you know, certain people would listen because it was yeah. a, a, a sporting, a footballer or, you know, whatever. So... It's nice to be able to just open the doors and, and speak to everyone. So without further ado, Muff, do you want to um, do the honours and introduce our guest today? Very excited to be chatting to, and I think we just said before we started, our the most distance geographically guest that we've spoken to today. Although, obviously, humble roots in our darling uh, uh, siblings to the north from Sydney. But sitting in Los Angeles at the moment and joining us for a chat today is... I mean, some of the best pipes in the business that belong to Mr. Sam Fisher. Sam, thank you so much for joining us for a chat today, mate. Of course. Thank you for that introduction. I'm always so interested in what people will say in the intro because I never know how I come across, but that's great to know. Yeah, I appreciate it, mate. Look, I'd love to say that that was a tried and tested prepared intro, but as we sort of mentioned, we're we're uh, we're a sliver of journalists at best. So we're, um... it felt off the cuff. So you guys are killing it. Yeah, oh, well, that's love yeah, that. that's a beautiful thing because yeah, let's keep it that way, mate. Yeah, hundred percent off the cuff's our that's our that's our lane for sure. Um, Sam, we're we're very stoked to be having this conversation today. As Murph just mentioned before, you know, opening up this conversation about men's mental health and mental health even more broadly, you know, to people in from all different walks of life and different generations is is sort of the goal for our conversations this year. And you definitely fit the bill in that and, and obviously have got a pretty unique and quite an amazing story and something that we're super keen to to sort of scratch a little below the surface and I guess, you know, dive into the what was happening, you know, back of house behind, you know, the journey that we can see and that we can that I guess everybody's familiar with as well. Yeah, I'm I'm an open book for you. So I don't know, let's do it. We might uh we might go bang and, and start from the start and we've we've got a broad range of listeners and some people may not know who is Sam Fisher. So what we were hoping you would like to do is we, we try to ask our guests to do a bit of an elevator pitch and do a bit of a blast as to who you are and what makes up Sam Fisher. So would you like to, I guess we'll challenge you with the first straight (laughs) off the cuff with a bit of an unprepared elevator pitch. Unprepared elevator pitch. Uh, Okay. Uh, I'm Sam Fisher. I was formerly a ginger kid as a, as a child and then it went dark. No, no fault of my own. Um, I am a singer. I'm a songwriter. Uh, I am an artist. I uh, I sing about my feelings. I like to call my music honest pop. 
Um, I've got two brothers. I grew up with a dog named Monty. He was a golden retriever and I'm always trying to emulate golden retriever energy. So Monty's within me. Um, and uh, I'm just a regular guy having an extraordinary experience. So that is me in a nutshell. I mean, that's pretty, yeah. that's an 11 tick, out tick. of 10 elevated yeah. pitch. <laughs> sure. Very impressive, Unreal. mate. There's a lot to dive into there. I mean, I'm just going to jump quickly back to golden retriever energy. It's not a term that I can say that I've ever heard before. And one millisecond after you said it, I literally know exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> you know those people who you, you, you get around, you're like, you know what, I feel better just because I'm, I'm yeah. around. And I don't think it comes naturally to me, but I'm trying to emulate, you know? But still, and I mean, like, the perfect spirit animal. That is the golden yeah. retriever. Like, see, try and find a golden retriever having a bad day. Impossible. Unheard of. That's it. Very That's cool. It. Brilliant. So, obviously, out of that, I take... From, from the start, family is a very important thing to you. You mentioned you've got two brothers and, and a childhood dog that's still with you as well, like we just said. Um, formative years growing up in, in what, outside of Sydney. Um, do you want to talk us through the early days of, of your life and I guess yeah. the, the passion you found for music along the way would also be an, an amazing story to hear. Completely. Um, yeah, I've got two brothers. Uh, family is is really important to me now. It's, it's been kind of a complicated thing over my life. Um, my family has been through a bunch of pretty heavy stuff. My, and I'm totally cool to talk about all of it, but my, my dad and I don't, we don't talk, we don't have a relationship. Um, he is uh, an interesting guy. And uh, growing up, he was, uh, you know, he came off, he came off to the public, like he was a pretty good dude and a pretty good dad. And I think he was, I don't really remember because my mum really was the hero of the family and just an absolute legend and worked as hard as possible. And she's the reason that I work so hard now. And, um, my brothers and I, we, it's been a push pull. We, we've, we were close as kids and then, you know, it's three boys and we were competitive with each other. Mm. And I, I don't know, you know, my older brother was the academic and I was the sportsman and the, and the musician. And so <laughs> two arenas where the, the payoff, it, one is very public and one, is, one isn't. And so, you know, those, we were kids and it, it just, I think attention is an interesting thing, but um, family's very important to me now. And I'm, I'm very grateful to have a really great relationship with my brothers and my mum. And uh, we've come a long way. I'm really proud of us because um, we beat, beat a couple just insane times. But music uh, is something that was always a part of kind of the family dynamic. My mum, she played cello and she played a little bit of piano. Um, my dad thought he could sing. Uh, I, I, when I was three years old, I went to a, a concert and there was this violinist named Queenie. And I, my earliest memory is turning to my mom saying, I want to do that. And so she bought me a, a tiny little violin, which is like the size of my forearm. And that started my musical journey and I was obsessed with that. And then uh, I was always singing choirs, but I don't know, people didn't know that I could sing till I was like 12, 13. And uh, I don't know, after I sang in public for the first time, it kind of took over and I played, I picked up saxophone to get into the jazz band in high school, but then I got into the jazz band and the head of the jazz band heard that I could sing and then I never played saxophone again. I was like, well, that was a waste. So that was that. And then I started writing songs when I was like 12, 13, purely out of uh, 
really just jealousy. I was listening to, you know, like human nature and uh, that was the first album I owned. And, and I was like, oh, I can do this. And so I, I wrote a song about what I knew because it's always important to write about what you know. Mm. And first song I ever wrote was called Wake Up. And it was simply about waking up in the morning. I was a simple kid, had a, had came, came from privilege, not many problems. <laughs> so uh... <laughs> well, it's relative, right? It's relative. We, we touch on that a lot. It's like, you know, people's problems, you know, are different, but problems are problems, you know? Like... <laughs> I mean, look, the first, the first 12 years of my life were pretty, pretty good. Um, and, you know, and then you grow up and, and you start going through changes and you experience things and you, I don't know, you react to them and that, people's reactions to your reactions shape how you are and who you are and yeah it's been a long a long journey but I've made it here onto this podcast so that must mean something (laughs) oh well absolutely mate definitely does to us absolutely I think we've got to shout out that answer to be honest because Mm. that I I feel like it's kind of a hard question to answer really truthfully sometimes about you know you know, being able to sum up a family dynamic like that and for you to be able to, yeah, be that open and honest about it and, and give the truthful answer because it's an easy one to, I think, for people to say, yeah, it was great. You know, it was this, it was that. And that's, yeah, yeah that's really cool, man. It's like, something that I haven't talked about in my music yet. Mm-hmm. Um, and I say yet because there are songs right where I talk about it. I just think it's, I don't know. I'm always afraid that I put some, if I, if I put out a song and people don't care, then what was the point which is a silly thing to think but that's my own anxiety and and insecurity when it comes to making music and being in an industry that is totally subjective and opinion based yeah yeah that's right I'm open you know we've been through a lot and I I think that I have a perspective on a a family that fell apart um that really is probably shared by tons of people um but I have a platform and, and why not use that to make someone else feel not alone in maybe how they're feeling it's an incredible insight and it yeah i'd like to echo that sentiment and say like just the vulnerability to be able to say like yeah this is this is how i've grown up this is my story i'm going to share it and you know if if anyone can connect with that and find positives in their own lives as well then so be it i mean that's the whole premise of this podcast is that muff and i went through some stuff at same at the same time of our lives without knowing it. Um, we were working together, best mates for years and years and years. Sat down one night, had a beer, and then we just put it all out on the table. And I mean, the, the idea came about to do this. And our whole goal is, you know, if we're having these conversations and hearing stories from and insights from people like yourself that are willing to share that. Our, our whole aim is for someone to hear it and go, oh, that. You know, that makes sense. That's mm. me as well. And yeah, it rings a little true yeah, to me too. Exactly, yeah. yeah. I mean, I always say with my songs, I'm just trying to create a safe place for people to feel what they're feeling. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, if it helps one person, then, it, you know, we're doing a doing an all right job. Absolutely, Absolutely. man. Yeah. Honest pop is a cool term. I love it. I was just thinking Very that, cool. Yeah. Would love to scratch that a little bit because yeah. <laughs> that must come from you know, well, you mentioned about that sort of comparison with, you know, the early, you know, human nature and, and you know, and songwriting in general, I guess, and, and feeling confident that you could, you know, give something like that a shot and, and, and a meaningful shot at that. Does that, does that honest pop mentality, does that come from a recognition that there was a lot of 
dishonest pop out there or that you were that you kind of that rubbed you the wrong way a little bit or something yeah i mean honest pop is a development on what i call my sound and this all comes from over my life showing my songs to people and people being like you don't really fit in the box so like what are you a soul singer you musical theater you sing songwriter what are you and i was like well I uh, I was a background singer for this band, Holy Child, and they had dubbed themselves the founders of Brat Pop. And I was like, it, that's really cool. Like, whether it means much or not, that's cool. So yeah. the when I first started releasing music, I was walking into meetings as an independent artist saying that I was the creator of disarming pop for the nighttime crowd. I mean, it begs the question of like, please explain. Yeah. So like, you've already made yourself into the second question of the interview. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So uh, that was the method. But I think when uh, when this city took off, it was kind of a wake up call. It was like, okay, well, the one song that I put out that is really about a very real moment uh, mm -hmm people connect with so maybe i'll just go with what's on my heart and wear that on my sleeve and see what people think and i don't know it's it's turned out all right and honest pop is i still i still think that it's great to brand it brand yourself because it's hard to explain when people go so what kind of music do you do and i'm like well it's like pop singer songwriter yeah, no, it's, yeah. Honest, it's honest pop and they go what's that mean and i'm like it's just all right about home truths because home truths hit the hardest and uh yeah yeah i just think if i feel alone in a feeling maybe millions of other people out there will also feel alone in that and in that way we can all feel alone together there's more people than feelings right like someone's gonna reciprocate someone's gonna understand exactly where it's at there you go very cool would love to i guess jump back into that sort of experience the very formative years i can only imagine that you spent in the u.s obviously moving over to berkeley now is berkeley in Bo is berkeley in boston is that right yeah the berkeley college of music's in boston berkeley yeah. universities in california yeah because that's yeah. the one that's near san francisco isn't it yeah so that was like already tripped me out great clarification <laughs> i'm not smart enough <laughs> that was the brother that was the academic brother he was on the west coast you were up northeast yeah, yeah i get you um but the obviously a pretty uh, like a, a quite a well-known institution. I imagine the music would be exactly the same, and 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 that must have been a pretty formative experience for your, I guess you know, shaping this life that you've built for yourself. And then obviously that leading into moving over to the West Coast and moving to LA, and and I guess that's where we would approach the speed bump section of this, uh, of this career trajectory. It sounds like it sounds like there was quite a lot of uh, a few embattled moments in there too. Yes. Yeah, it's, it's been a, it's been a bumpy ride <laughs> for yeah. sure. Um, yeah. Berkeley was, Berkeley was great. I, uh, you know, a music degree is a music degree wherever you go. And I'm very grateful to have gone to Berkeley and I learned a lot and I met some really incredible people. I met my wife there um, and you know, but that, that is, it's a, it's a music school. And um, at the end of the day, not every single person is going to be wildly talented, but you know, that's just, you put, you put a thousand singers in a, in a hallway and it's going to be a, a battle of the egos. Yeah. So it was tough. And I think I, you know, as a songwriter, being, you know, trying to go to a songwriting class where they're teaching you how to write a song, 
it's also subjective. And so what's right, what's wrong? There is no wrong way to write a song, but uh, I don't know. It's, it's, it was just, so it was a little frustrating because I wasn't someone who, yeah. uh, I don't play guitar and I, 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 I wasn't someone who could pick up a, a guitar and, and write these very colorful image-based songs. My songs are very blatant. It's just like, this is what I'm feeling. I put this on paper. I'll say it in a way that is simple enough to understand, but a little, you know, it's, it's, it, it, there's a little color. Yeah. Um, mm. But so I used to butt heads with professors at school because you know, I, uh, I wanted to write for artists that were going to be on the radio that were going to make me money. And that didn't necessarily mean that, that I was going to write a song about a cup of coffee. Like it was like, no, I want to write about sex. I want to write about drugs. I want to write about things that are currently on the radio. Yeah. And, um, I had someone tell me that everything that was on the radio was garbage. And I was like, well, what are we doing here? Mm. <laughs> well it's on the radio mate so <laughs> exactly. I was like well they're making a lot more money than me it was yeah. funny when uh Katy Perry released a song called Uncondition Unconditionally and the emphasis on the chorus was unconditional which is not how you say it you say it unconditional yeah and that it was num it was like I think it was a top five at, at US pop radio and so that was raging all over the radio and we're all going this goes against every songwriting project. <laughs> oh, what, what the hell? Yeah. So I used to ask a lot of questions and um, yeah. So it was an interesting time and I moved out to LA because of the promise of a, of a opportunity. We'll yeah. call it. Mm-hmm. And it's pretty classic story of uh, it's 2am in Boston and I'm sitting there and I got a, my phone starts ringing and it's someone in LA and, they're saying we just got out of a meeting with these execs and where are you and I said I'm in Boston they go what the hell are you doing in Boston you need to get to LA so I was like okay so uh, I in the morning I met up with my then girlfriend who's now my wife so it worked out and I was like hey uh three weeks from now I'm moving to LA so I don't know. And so we were, we were long distance (laughs) for a year and that sucked, but I moved out to LA and uh, day after I got out there, the people that got me out to LA were basically like, listen, we love you, but we're not going to move forward with this, but we'll help you out. And I was like, okay, so cool. World came crashing down, Mm. had a bit of a sob in in the car and uh, have never heard from them again, even to this day. (laughs) So (laughs) You know, moved out of the house I was living in uh, while I was walking my suitcases out of the house. Uh, our neighbor from upstairs, who just happened to be Karen Balzari, who is Flea from the Red Hot Chili Peppers' sister. Oh, right. Okay. And she's a character. She saw me walking with my bags and she was like, where are you going? I was like, I don't know. I'll figure it out. And she was like, you can stay on my floor. So I lived on her floor for about five weeks and... In the meantime, I just tried to, I don't know, survive in LA. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, then I went back to Sydney. This is a, it's like a serious story, but I, I went back to Sydney. Family was going through some really dark stuff. And so I cut up the safety net credit card that my mom had given me. And I just said, I have to do this by myself. It's sink or swim. Went back to LA and um couch surfed for a long time and I worked at uh I was like a delivery boy for an Australian meat pie shop for a for a while and 
I coach tennis to rich people's kids. And <laughs> I like, you know, I said yes to everything, any, any money that I would scrounge up, I would mm. use to go out to clubs and bars and restaurants and strike up conversations with whoever I could. And if they said they were remotely in the industry, I would get their contact next day, hit them up, we'd arrange a meal. And then that's how I would eat. And I did that for about six months. Um, and they would just kind of pass me from what person to person and put me in sessions. I'd get into different rooms that way. And then um, my friend texted me and said that there was a backgrounds audition for a band. And so I auditioned for that and I got that gig and then we went out on tour for six months and then the band ran out of money. And so then I went on Craigslist and I got a room in, in North Hollywood and then started the grind. And it's been five years since then or four years, four and a half years since then. And, and uh, I've been signed, I've been dropped. I've been broke. I've been <laughs> all sorts of things, but uh, yeah, I, <laughs> I've pulled through. <laughs> I was lying to my friends and family back home, telling them I was killing it. It was, there's a lot that went on, man, when I think about it. And I, I feel like when I look back at it, I go, how mm. the hell did I do that? Uh, yeah. Uh, right now, I'm just sitting here sort of shaking my head at the, <laughs> there's just, there's two or three things that just stand out to me just from listening to you. And I mean, the, the sense of character in yourself I can only imagine like how many times you'd have just been questioning what the hell you were doing. And I mean, I, I, we read something the other day about how you mm. were those lunches you spoke about, you know, catching up with whoever and anyone and eating lunch then, you know, at points of, of that time, that was the only meal you were eating. Like the amount of character that it takes to be able to put yourself through that turbulence and, and be able to go like, you know, I'm doing this for a purpose. I've got a goal. Mm. I'm going to do whatever it takes. And, you know, the resilience you've shown to to be able to sit there and right now and look back and go like, holy shit, like what the hell have I, <laughs> you know, like people, people, you hear stories about this, this overnight success in, in any industries and yeah. it's just absolutely, to me, everyone I've spoken to and everyone we've spoken to, it just, it's rubbish, you know, like there's so much yeah. to it. There's no such thing as overnight success. Mm. Oh, it takes, it took, it took me 10 years to be called an overnight success. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, that's like... one long night. Hey, <laughs> exactly. One very long night. But yeah, man, uh, like I, I'd love to just say to you, like, congratulations on, I mean, I've only met, we only met not long ago, but it just, <laughs> I feel like I've known you for so long just from you sharing that. And yeah, congratulations on, on having the guts to take, you know, take it on and cop it and figure it out. It's unreal. It's unreal. Thanks. It was, uh, you know, someone asked me like, would I change anything about it? And I don't think I would because I don't think I would be who I am now. And I wouldn't have written this city. So. Yeah. Yeah. There you <laughs> go. Um, but you know, I, I think it's, it's not, it's not a, uh, I keep kind of coming back to, it's not, that much of a unique story coming to LA with a dream and having it not work out is not, not that much of a unique story. I, th I'm really proud of my perseverance and uh, it, it is a weird one to look back now that I'm in, you know, I've got a, a 
nice apartment in North Hollywood and I don't freak out every month when I have to pay rent. That's okay. That's pretty good. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. The little things. Right? Peace of mind. Yeah. Through that experience, and I and it sounds like you've had the opportunity to, you know, sort of reflect on it a little bit, or obviously a lot, and, and even, you know, your music itself being a reflection on those times too. You know, rejection's a pretty tricky thing at the best of times and, and yeah, obviously there's it there's a sh- there's a you know, the lion's share of that of that story seems to seems to have rejection in and alongside it. What if if you remember or if you've had the chance to sort of reflect on it, do you recall some of that self talk or do you recall some of the I guess, you know, those underlying feelings or any moments in particular that really were they sort of trying and testing moments, which you've obviously prevailed through. And I mean, just, I just have to say, because I, you know, the, the term burning the boats, I don't know if you know this term, but it's basically like this old school, I'll butcher the story, but basically there was this like old, you know, uh, um, commander in the, in the, um, Roman empire that used to sail his army out to some place that they wanted to take over. And then as soon as they landed the boats on shore, they would burn all the boats because then the, in, the, in, the, in the general's mind, he was like, okay, well, now we have no choice but to win this war because we're not getting home otherwise, fellas. You know, that was sort of the plan. And, and I mean, chopping up the credit card, like ditching the safety net, I, it just scares the shit out of me for one. <laughs> but accompanying that, you know, the, re- the rejection and, and those sort of decisions that you made very bravely, what was the sort of self-talk through those times? Um... It was pretty rough. I'm not going to lie. Um, I have a crippling fear of failure and that is a big part of, um, what was driving me. And I also have a massive need to prove people wrong. So it was sheer arrogance, blind arrogance, uh, that kept (laughs) me going if I'm totally honest, but it, it just, I, I just, I'm not good at anything else and nothing else makes me as happy as, as, as making music. And I wasn't willing to sacrifice my happiness for anything. Um, and it, you know, it, it has definitely done a number on my head. Uh, and it's because I know how fragile this is. I know how insanely rare it is to, to do this, you know, I, I got my plaques, my very first plaques in the mail the other day. And, mm. you know, there's one that says this city over 2 million worldwide sales, which is oh. batshit fucking crazy. Yeah. Insane. Uh, so cool. And it just, it was, I was all alone when I, when I got my plaques because it, we we're in the middle of the pandemic and my wife wasn't home. And it was a really weird moment. I was like, I always imagined this being something that was like presented to me and popping champagne. Yeah, literally. Yeah. <laughs> and, I, and so this pandemic has been really rough for me uh, mentally. But going back to those kind of the, the talks in my head, it was, it was just, just a lot of like take it day by day. And it, it was not, I never looked at it on the, on the, as like a grand scheme of things. It was never like one day this is going to work out. It was like, maybe it'll work out tomorrow. Um, and rejection just became part of life. It was hearing no was, was like, all right, cool. Next. Um, and I was prepared for that. So that was something that after the first heartbreak of the, the, it was a label of the label passing. Mm-hmm. I was like, okay, that sucked. That hurt like hell. 
Um, but it just, it's just something that you go through. I think, I think music is such a fickle industry and it's so subjective. And so you can't, you can't take it personally if someone doesn't want to sing the song that you've written that you thought would be good for them. And I learned that, I learned that pretty quick and it, it was, it was fine. I'm going to be honest. Most nights I was, I was hammered. I was like, you know what? Like, I don't want to live with, with the thoughts inside my mind. So I'm either going to uh, get high or I'm going to drink. And it was, uh, there was, you know, I, I'm, I'm really lucky to have good friends out, out here. And I had a, a solid support crew around me and, uh, it was weird. It was like everything was going full steam ahead until I signed my first deal. And I signed my first deal with my management back then. And it just, it was like everyone around me was all of a sudden not, not that supportive and really just wanted to make a quick buck. And when they realized that I wasn't going to do that for them immediately, it just, I don't know. I didn't feel important to anyone. And that's a tough, a tough place to get to when you haven't felt important and then finally do. And then you realize that, Oh wait, you are just another number and Oh wait, you are not a high enough number for these people to care. So that sucks. That's fickle. Wow. I feel like, yeah, there, there can't be this, that many businesses out there that are as fickle as this. <laughs> there just can't be, you know, it's just, it's a weird one, man. I mean, like art is so important in the world, but hmm. it's, uh, what artists go through to make their art, to survive on making their art is really something that is just, it's not understood by 99% of the population of the world. And uh, it's rough. It's rough to have to com continue to explain yourself and continue to back yourself uh, when you have the closest people around you asking if, if this is it or asking what the plan B was and, it just, there was a lot of those questions and it, it sucked, but um, yeah, there was a lot of fear that I didn't let on. Mm. I've, I've got a pretty good front, but, mm -hmm. but uh, it just, I don't know, hard work, perseverance and not giving up mm. as cliche as that sounds, but things are only cliche because they're true. So yeah, exactly <laughs> right. you, you mentioned um, the support network you had, how they were there and then they weren't, we, we were going to ask about those early days and I guess maybe not having a support network, but you know, like from what you've said, it sounds like it was kind of there at the start and it through whatever circumstances it had sort of dwindled down a little bit. Who I'd love to know who now when, when you find yourself, I guess at a time of, of, of struggle in your own thoughts and challenging work and life. And, you know, you mentioned your, your wife earlier, so I'm gathering. She's obviously, uh, high up there in your support network and, and your mother and brothers. Um, are there any other people that, you know, close friends that you, you know, go to for, for certain things? If, yeah. I'm it's, it's my friends back home. It's, I have, I have some great friends now over here. Um, but there's just, I just don't feel like I can be as open as I, as I can be with my mates back home. Um, and my, my best mate who lives in Melbourne, he's, uh, he's just, a, he just makes me laugh. Like he's the funniest person on the planet. And, uh, 
I would go to him for a smile. Like it was, it wasn't so much me going and complaining because complaining to Australians while I'm over in LA was like, well, just come home. <laughs> you know, I, I don't want anyone to tell me to just come home. So it was, I, I, I turned to Australians for a smile and out here it's, it's tough. I mean, you know, I had my, a, a group of friends who I was friends with in college and we came out here and, uh, I feel like whenever you go through a moment of change, you figure out who, who the real people are around. Yeah. 100%. Um, so they kind of parted when they realized they couldn't really get anything from me. Um, and so it's a really small group out here. Um, and it's people that I've met after things got a little better. Um, but my wife has been my rock and she's been through it with me. And there are, you know, I've got a very small crew of people out here who supported me. Um, but I, I didn't, as I said before, like, I didn't want to bring people down with what I was going through. And so Sam Fisher has always been a happy-go-lucky <laughs> person. And, and it's very, I'm always very bubbly. I'm always very, I, I don't want to be the reason anyone has a shitty hour. So... I just kind of put on a brave face until things are going great. And then when things started going great, I told people that I wasn't great for a long time. <laughs> it's kind of a bizarre reverse order, I guess. And yeah, if it's landed you here and... No, I just didn't want anyone to know. Anything. Yeah, I, th- I think we all battle with that, like sometimes. And, you know, and like everyone's journey is different. And, and obviously it's it's cool because it's, you know, the, the mental health side of things has obviously been a big consideration of yours and, and you can hear it throughout the journey and obviously the way that it comes through in your music as well, if that's sort of the the end product and of this journey and if that is, as we said earlier, if that's stuff that is relatable and is having that positive effect on people around us, that must be a pretty gratifying feeling as well. Totally, absolutely. I mean, mental health is something that isn't... It's weird. It's like it's, it is talked about uh, from big artists, but it's not really explored I guess or expanded on it it's just kind of like mental health needs to be talked about more in the industry and that's kind of where it ends yeah um and it's hard it's really hard to talk about mental health when you're an artist that's succeeding and and you know the perception to the world of of an artist that has a song on the radio is that they're killing it and they've got millions of dollars and they've got no issues and they've got people around them and everyone loves them and they get love all day yeah um I don't have millions of dollars, <laughs> um, but you know, it's, it's, uh, I was really afraid to get help. I, I, I didn't want to go to a therapist. I, I was taught from an early age that getting help was, sh- was shameful. Mm. And um, I've, I started therapy a couple months ago and it's completely changed my life. And I think, I, th- I feel like everyone should be, I feel like everyone should be assigned a therapist at birth. <laughs> hey, that's not a bad Could idea. not agree more, yeah. honestly. No. <laughs> like, it's, um, yeah, exactly like Murph mentioned. You know, for us, our formative experiences was, yeah, sort of getting to that stage and, and also using that as a permission for entry to us exploring, you know, some help with, with, some, with professionals. And I just, I cannot, I probably advocate for it a little too strongly sometimes, but because it's not something that you can shove down people's throats, I don't think, but oh my goodness. It comes from a good place. Exactly. That comes from, and I think yours is too. Absolutely. Definitely. It's helped me kind of rework memories and and redefine memories in in my life that have really plagued me for a long time. And um, 
that shame was something that that was kind of a common theme through my life and you know if I was too flamboyant then it was shameful if I was if I danced if I was I was really badly bullied at school for being into musical theater and you can you know I, I won't say it on here but like, you can tell what kids were saying to me mm. um that was just a confusing time because you're trying to figure yourself out and you've got people who are like out there saying like oh you're gay and I'm like oh mm. I don't know but it just it just is like a it was a it was a weird one it was just I, I grew up feeling like I should be all these all these things and all constantly being told by people who were closest to me that I that it was weird that I shouldn't be like that so as a kid to hear that would just you the questions that would be raised internally for your whole day and mm. week and month and you know it's there the whole time that burden and yeah no wonder people put it all away and then it gets worse and worse and gets to a tipping point like it's it's so clear cut it's something that you know like mm. Muff says we advocate it almost too strongly at times because it having gone through it and sought after some professional help and it's so clear cut how easy it is for us to reach out and get this help but it's just that that the challenge is to actually I guess bring yourself to go hey what they're saying these people that I love and respect that's complete rubbish and I know myself that I need to go and get help so yeah that's the hardest part for sure well yeah I tell you what Mr Sam Fisher we're very, very grateful for you to be able to jump straight in. And we actually, we, we had a conversation just uh, just two days ago. In fact, we were interviewing a, um, a very, uh, very, very impressive artist from back here in Melbourne. And it was, I was, you know, these are sort of our first chats back for the year. And we are just beyond grateful and always blown away that people are so willing to jump into what is, you know, a pretty vulnerable and open mm. conversation just off the bat and the way you've done today. And exemplary effort on your behalf, I guess, is uh, is the point we're making. Yeah. I just want to say a huge thanks on behalf of Liam and I for joining us. Yeah, of course. Thank you. Thank you for letting me talk about this with you guys. Absolutely, man. And yeah, look, you we've said it a couple of times this chat and I think advocating for people being open and honest and and endeavoring to have a better understanding of mental health in any realm in any walk of life and i mean maybe for you being you know putting the honest pop out there it's kind of forcing people to listen to it because whether they like it or not they're not just listening to like catchy hooks they're catching some feelings as well so yeah i mean it's you know it's interesting my, my wife and i we, we've got a great relationship and a bunch of people are like oh man like you've got got a lot of sad songs they're, they're a lot of heartbreak songs i'm like the relationship i'm constantly talking about is the one with myself because mm-hmm. my relationship in real life uh in love is is great and no one wants to hear about that so well big, big <laughs> shout out to your wife as well for uh from us to her i guess for for the support and being that rock for you mate um like like michael said we're et- eternally grateful for your vulnerability and your openness and your willingness to come and and chat to us today, mate. Um, honest pop, I, it's my new favourite genre straight away. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, thank you. And, and I guess, yeah, congratulations on all the success that you've worked so hard to, to achieve. And, and no doubt the future success is going to come your way from all these honest feelings. And, and yeah, mate, absolutely yeah. stoked to have had you here. Absolutely. No, thank you so much for having me out. It's been awesome. Unreal. Muff. Eternally grateful for you, as oh, always. Mr. Liam Murphy, Love always, you. mate. Loving these conversations. Today I went back into it. For everybody listening, I just want to say a huge thank you again. So much support. 
This is the Men of Words podcast where the little conversations make the biggest differences. Click. Oh, oh we know that click. We planned that one months in advance, Sam. You wouldn't believe it. I love that. That was so good. I'm-